Uh, our next speaker is an amazing man. I love him so much. I appreciate him so much. And uh, as oftentimes as I can get him out here to preach, the more the merrier. And so I love this guy. He's a great man of God. Had a, had a start in his life that would uh, maybe like Timothy. Uh, wouldn't have necessitated us to think that he might be a great evangelist. But I'll tell you what, when I listen to Mike Ferguson, man, I get pumped up, charged up, and I want to get her done. You know, last year, the sermon that he preached on uh, the cell phone, stealing your presence from others. Oh my goodness, that was a great sermon. And uh, if, you, if you didn't get pierced by that sermon, I'm really sorry you weren't listening. His sermon today, he shared with me a little bit about what it's about. He's going to ask you a question, and I want you to hear the question, and I want you to Answer the question. Answer the call. So important. Now every message here is designed specifically to help you look at a facet of perseverance that's absolutely critical. And this is a critical point for us to be able to persevere. No matter what the future holds, to persevere with a great attitude. And so I'm excited to bring him up. Uh, Mike Ferguson, suffering for the name of Christ. Bring him on, Mike Ferguson. So somebody signal me if I need to move this down a little bit. So uh, go ahead and turn to 1 Peter chapter 4 this morning to, to get us started here. And uh, I, I'm going to tell you right now that I'm going to apologize to those that may be watching on Facebook. You're probably not going to see me a lot. Um, I, I tend to move around and, and especially with this right here, I've been told that I have a face for radio. So I'm going to do my best to not uh, cause them damage as they watch. <laughs> um, in all seriousness, I, when, when, when Bill talked to me about this particular topic, it's weird, but I was excited about it. Because I think it's so relevant, and it's something that we got to be aware of. And I wish I had more time today, because honestly, if I had more time today, we would cover the entire book of 1 Peter. 1 Peter is one of those books that is nuts and bolts Christianity. It is written by the elder to the church, and it goes like this. This is what this looks like and what you should expect. That's the book of 1 Peter in a nutshell. Um, I have a couple things uh, before we get started that I want to talk about. Number one, there's a few Bible characters that I want to address really quickly this morning. Um, their names are Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And uh, you may know them as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, but I choose not to call them by their pagan names given to them by the world. <clears throat> but I want you to think about something, and I want you to be aware of it right now, that with what it looks like is coming towards us, it is not the first time in history that the church has had to exist under a tyrannical government. Because there were some guys that got the opportunity to go into the fiery furnace because they refused to bow down. Brothers and sisters, we need to steal our minds for what's coming. 
Do you know why we have the Old Testament? So we can see what the principles of God look like when they're applied. When, when you see Daniel going into the lion's den, that is a picture for us to understand that we must obey God rather than men. That's why that story is there. It doesn't have anything to do with the lions. It has to do with the church as they face the opposition that will come to them. Your Old Testament is so important. If you want to understand what being a Christian looks like, the illustration of those things are found in the Old Testament. Because God made you, and you know what he realized when he made you? That most people are what kind of learners? Visual learners. And we follow by example. When I was a kid, you're probably not allowed to say this anymore, but when I was a kid, we used the expression, monkey see, monkey do. Learn your Old Testament. Know your Old Testament because those are the illustrations of the principles of God at work. You can see what it looks like and draw the appropriate spiritual application from those things. <clears throat> One other quick reminder. Don't kid yourself on which kingdom is going to last forever. Don't kid yourself. There is one. Book of Daniel, chapter 2. There's a statue that Nebuchadnezzar sees in a dream, right? What's, mo what's most important in that? The statue or the rock? Which, which kingdom gets set up that endures forever? Nebuchadnezzar, you are the heart of gold. Nebuchadnezzar's like, I like how this story begins. <laughs> How'd that end for Nebuchadnezzar? Man, that dude's creeping and crawling out in the field and the dew's falling on him. He's eating grass. His fingernails are growing out, man. But yeah, head of gold, dude. Way to go. <laughs> What's the kingdom that lasts forever? In the days of those kings, God is going to set up his kingdom, which will endure forever. So don't kid yourself on what kingdom will endure forever. My topic is about the sufferings in Christ, and I'm sharing in them today. And uh, I've asked uh, Brian Schweitzer to pray for us this morning. Come on up, Brian. And while he's coming up, uh, I do need to ask for a particular request. Uh, many of you guys know my, my brother Robert and his wife April. Yes. Just, just this week, April, April was diagnosed with cancer and uh, some uncertainty on what that looks like. So I'm going to ask for the congregation here to, to pray for April as well. And please put them on your prayer, prayer list there. Faithful servants. So, Brian, if you'll pray for us for this message. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks, Lord, for this day. We're so appreciative, God, of the time you've given us to be able to come together as your body, your church. Uh, thankful for all the preachers that are here this weekend. Pray, God, that all of us who are listening that uh, we would open our hearts and minds to your word, the things you're trying to tell us, uh, that we would look and see the times that are upon us, Father, that we would not be caught sleeping, that we would be awake, uh, see in your word the, what you've, the foundation that you've laid for us. I ask uh, this morning that you please be with uh, my brother Mike and that his words would be your words, the encouragement he has for, for the church today, and they would be attentive, that your spirit would work within us, that we would do 
your word and a special prayer, Father, for his sister-in-law, April, and uh, what she has to go through. And I ask that your blessings be upon her and Robert and their family. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Brian. All right. First Peter chapter 4. I have a lot of ground to cover this morning. Um, I'm going to speak fast. I'm going to ask that you guys listen fast. There's a lot of things that I want to bring out and develop as we talk about this. And I can tell you already, I am not going to get all the way through my notes. So we're going to, we're going to do our best to make sure I can sew this up. It's an important topic. First uh, Peter chapter 4, verse 12, it says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing, as though some strange thing were happening to you. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing, so that also at the revelation of his glory, you may rejoice with exultation. You know, I, I was thinking about this, and in and, and this particular scripture, um, years, years and years ago, um, I, I did some Bible memorizing with a guy, uh, Scott Schweitzer. And the, the book that we started with was James. The next book we went to was First, First Peter. I, I memorized this a lot of years ago, and unfortunately I didn't maintain a lot of that, but this is one of those things that's stuck in my head about suffering and to not be surprised as if some strange thing were happening. See, there's some terms that we got to define. So when we talk about a good year, which so far no one has described 2020 as a good year, which I actually think is a mistake. Hear me out here. I think that's a mistake. I think 2020 was an extremely good year. Now let's define terms. Because when most people use the word good, and we'll put it in the reference of a, a period of time, they're actually not talking about good. They're talking about easy. There's a major difference between good and easy. And when they talk about something being a hard year, they're actually saying that it's, or a bad year, they're actually saying that it's hard. So we got to define our terms. Because if we know anything about life, we actually know that growth doesn't come from something easy. Growth comes from doing something hard. Smooth seas a sailor never made. We got to redefine our terms a little bit and understand that there is an intended purpose of going through difficult things that actually produces something. And Mr. Hoffman just recently talked about some of those things, that perseverance comes by doing what? By going through those hard things, which I want us to reframe our thinking today that those hard things are actually good things. I will tell you this. If you were awake in 2020, it brought you closer to the kingdom of God. Right. If you were awake. And if you were not awake, you referred to 2020 as a dumpster fire. Are you kidding me? Okay, we just talked about the end of the book. Does it not all end up in a dumpster fire? Yeah. Man, we, we got to get our head on right. We got to be thinking about these things correctly. Guess what? It's supposed to be hard. It's supposed to cause you to grow. Man, I, I used to, when I was a younger man, I was really skinny. You know, Brian, one of my, my dearest friends from a long time ago, I was a skinny guy. And, uh, 
Well, let me just tell you that the metabolism, when it goes away, helps to solve some of that problem. But when I was younger, <laughs> I decided that I, I wanted to, I wanted to, I didn't want to be quite so skinny. So, I, man, I started eating and taking a lot of protein and, and lifting some weights. What if I went to the gym and all I ever did was pick up the little weights? Is that, is that, is that going to build anything? Well, it certainly ain't going to help my confidence, that's for sure. But it's certainly, it's not going to achieve the desired result, is it? Man, there's a part of it. What do you got to do? You got to increase. You got to push yourself to failure. And when you're doing some of those things, you know what actually builds is when you're doing the negatives, not just doing the, the presses. Man, you got to work both sides of that thing in order for it to achieve its desired result. The hard, difficult things. So why are we surprised when some persecution, some suffering, some challenging comes upon us as if some strange thing were happening to us. Maybe because the wolves in the sheep's clothing are standing at the pulpit saying, if you're doing it right, man, it's health, wealth, and happiness. Did you actually read this thing? <laughs> if you read the book, there's no way you could come up with that. Because who's the only man that, that walked without sin? Jesus Christ, health, wealth, and happiness? Like, I missed it if it's in there. We got to get this thing on right. We got to think about this and approach it from the right perspective. <laughs> Jeremiah chapter 19. On Wednesday nights in Wilson, Brother Steve Eisenhower has been taking us through the Old Testament. And uh, man, I love the Old Testament. I love those illustrations, examples. And man, we got Jeremiah the prophet here. You know, the book of Jeremiah overall isn't uh, the most encouraging. <laughs> you read through that, man. That guy, he faced some, some tough stuff. And, and you know what? He, he got a rough message, didn't he? Hey, you got to repent or die. Did, I think we just heard that, didn't we? Lane County, is that the county here? You know? The odds are not in their favor. All right, Jeremiah 19, verse 14. Then Jeremiah came to Topheth, where the Lord had sent him to prophesy, and he stood in the court of the Lord's house and said to all the people, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Behold, I am about to bring on this city and all its towns the entire calamity that I have declared against it, because they have stiffened their necks so as not to heed my words. When Pasher the priest, the son of Imar, who was chief officer in the house of the Lord, heard Jeremiah the prophet prophesying these things, Pasher had Jeremiah the prophet beaten and put him in stocks over at the upper Benjamin gate, which was by the house of the Lord. Well, that's not fair. What, what, what did Jeremiah do wrong? Yeah. God says, you're bad, and you need to repent. And, and uh, this guy didn't really like that message too much, did he? <laughs> and so Jeremiah gets beaten and put in the stocks for it. They didn't kill the messenger yet, but it's where they're headed, isn't it? <clears throat> now, verse 9 of chapter 20, Jeremiah, I mean, and, and I'll give Jeremiah a little credit here. He displays a little bit of emotion through this chapter. Verse 9, but if I say I will not remember him or speak any more in his name, then in my heart it becomes like a burning fire shut up in my bones, and I'm weary of holding it in, and I cannot endure it. For I have heard the whispering of many, terror on every side, denounce him. Yes, let us denounce him. All my trusted friends, 
watching for my fall, say, perhaps he will be deceived so that we may prevail against him and take our revenge on him. But the Lord is with me like a dread champion. Therefore, my persecutors will stumble and not prevail. They will be utterly ashamed because they have failed with an everlasting disgrace that will not be forgotten. I got to ask you a question. Yep, y'all are here. You showed up today. How many of you needed the Lord to be with you like a dread champion to make it into this building and to sit in those nice, comfortable chairs? Did you need God as a dread champion to clear the path for you to be able to come in here and sit there today? Yeah. Be honest. Yeah. I mean, there's part of it that, that there is that part of it, right? To overcome. But there's also a part of it. I don't know about you guys. Like, my, my morning was fairly civilized. The GPS performed according to its function and helped me arrive here exactly at the time it said it would. The dread champion. How about when we're in the middle of the battle and the fight? How about when the, there are those that are opposed to you? Maybe we need the Lord with us like a dread champion as we face those challenges. That's the context here, isn't it, in Jeremiah? When Pasher, the priest, the chief officer in the house of the Lord, heard Jeremiah the prophet prophesying these things, he had him beaten with rods and locked up in stocks. Now, who should have been behind Jeremiah? The priest should have. Why do you think that Jeremiah talks about, man, the Lord is with me like a dread champion? You go through, you read chapter 20. There's part of it where Jeremiah says, I wish I'd never been born. I wish they'd brought my, my dad the news that I died before I was born. That's some agony that he carries. But what does he, what does he say? Even if I wanted to shut up, I couldn't. And the Lord is with me like a dread champion to take on the things that are in front of me. How's our mindset? How's our picture? Hebrews chapter 11. We could talk about a lot of different characters in Hebrews 11. I'm just going to grab one really quickly. And I know this is somebody's future message coming up, so I'm not going to spend too much time here. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 24. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, considering the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to that reward. The adopted prince of Egypt, how much responsibility, what do you think was actually expected of him? As the adopted prince of Egypt, like, honestly, there probably wasn't a lot of downside in the physical sense. Nobody really was going to expect much of him. And what was at his disposal? The riches of Egypt. What, what does it say that he chose here? The reproaches of Christ as greater value. See, if we avoid suffering at all costs, you know what it's going to cost us? All eternity. 
What's our picture? What's our mindset? Oh, by the way, you don't have to seek out seek it out. It'll find you. Like, you don't have to go get your weather machine going to create some storms of life. It'll find you. What's the picture? Let's go back to 1 Peter chapter 4. We're going to read verse 12 and 13 again. It says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you which comes upon you for your testing as though some strange thing were happening to you. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing so that also at the revelation of his glory you may rejoice with exultation. See, there's a couple things we're going to talk about this morning. The first one is the what, and that's the sufferings of Christ that we get to partake in. And I'm not going to actually spend a bunch of time on that. In fact, I'm done with that. We're going to move on to the next piece. The sufferings are real. They will find you. But the next piece I want to talk about is the why. Why go through the sufferings of Christ? And the final piece that we're going to talk about is the result of that suffering. But I want to dig into the why a little bit as we go through this. So... The why is important. I'm, a, I'm, I'm not a young person anymore um, by some standards, and, and my children are not young either. My, my daughter's 18, my son's almost 20. And so when, when I'm instructing them or we're doing some things, and for quite some time now, I feel that my children, if I'm instructing them, deserve a why. Not just do this, but a why. So if we're going to talk about sharing in the sufferings of Christ, I think it's relevant for the why to be a present part of this discussion. Because if it's just just for the sake of going through sufferings, that actually doesn't make any sense. See, there, there should be an intended purpose. There should be a reason why. Why endure the sufferings? For Christ just because he told you to or maybe there's more to the story let's go to John chapter 15 we're going to work our way through this here you know the one nice thing about this right here is it, is it actually mostly blocks my view of the clock especially if I go like this just a little bit Bill I cannot see the clock at all so if I remain here, you'll know why. Um, <laughs> Let me turn the alarm back. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> John chapter 15, verse 18. If the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you. A slave is not greater than his master. If they persecute me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. <clears throat> What's the story here? What's the score? If they hate me, Jesus said, they're going to hate you. If they persecute me, Jesus said, they're going to persecute you. That's the way it is. 
Matthew chapter 5. I'm going to build on something here, so hang with me. At first, you may not see where I'm coming from, but we'll get there, I promise. Matthew 5, verse 17. Jesus talking here, makes this statement. Do not think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. And if you just got to Matthew chapter 5, please join me in Matthew chapter 22. You're going to have to listen fast and turn fast today. One other side point while you're turning there. I actually think the page turners can beat the, the scrollers. You guys have a contest with people at your table if you're using your digital Bible. I think if you know your Bible as page turners, old school, we'll beat them digital fellas. We love that old school. Amen. <clears throat> Matthew 22, verse 37. And he, this after, after Jesus could ask, what's the greatest commandment? Verse 37, he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. We just looked at Matthew 5. What did Jesus say he was coming to do? Abolish the law? No, but to fulfill the law and the prophets. And so what do we see here in Matthew chapter 2, 22? Jesus basically does this nice little thing for us. He says, you want to understand the intention of the law and the prophet. It is based upon two things. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, might, all your power, everything you got, all in, right? And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. John chapter 13. Verse 34, Bring it on. Jesus says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. So we, we took a look at a couple things here, and you're like, Mike, what's that have to do with suffering? Just wait, wait, we'll get there. Love Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, might, seconds, life, love your neighbors, yourself. Oh, and by the way, love one another as I have loved you. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples. You think anybody's ever going to be interested in you discipling them if they don't think you like the people that you go to assembly with? <laughs> uh, let's get real, man. Like, like you walk in and you're like, man, God's great. I don't like that guy. How, that doesn't work, man. The words and music don't match each other, do they? Man, there's no harmony there. You know, sometimes you get to suffer with the people next to you. I got hurt. I got told this joke a long time ago. That getting married is like a three-ring circus. You got the engagement ring, the wedding ring, and the suffering. <laughs> And if you've been married for a long time, you know what you realize? Married couples get to suffer through some things together. And, and you know what happens when they overcome those things? You, you know how they end up on the backside of that? Stronger. And they have character together. Man, I, you know, see a couple young people in love. What do, what do us old people say when we see a couple young people in love? They don't know. 
Man, it's all moonbeams and there's buttons running and stars every night. Man, that's not how it works, is it? Man, you get married, you're like, wow, 42nd straight day of storms. Awesome. Right? <clears throat> what's, what's, what's my point in bringing that up? Man, that, that suffering it actually has a purpose to bring together as they overcome things together. By the way, this mystery is great, great, but I'm speaking in reference to Christ and the church. Suffering together. We'll keep going. I have to give credit to Mike Harbor. He came to Wilson, North Dakota. Mike Harbor came to Wilson, North Dakota and preached to us about marriage. It was awesome. He, he has fancy titles, man. Mysterion Mega. It was awesome, man. <laughs> Talking about marriage. It's good stuff. Mystery, great. I'm not that creative. I, I just keep getting that put in my face time and time again. Romans chapter 8. I tried to do one of them fancy titles after, after Mike did. Let's just say it flopped. <clears throat> Romans 8, verse 4. In order that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. This is talking about new creatures. By the way, if you go take a look at the Greek on this, where it says requirement, that word is actually righteousness. In order that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. You guys starting to see where we're coming from here? When it, when it talks about the why for suffering, maybe there's some elements of love that are part of that. Let's test that out. Let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Second Corinthians 5, 17 is a pretty familiar verse. And it starts out with this word, therefore. And when you see the word, therefore, you know what that should tell you to do? See why it's therefore. Check your context. Go take a look at this. Let's pick it up in verse 14. It says, for the love of Christ controls us, having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died, and he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again, on their behalf. That sounds like sacrificial love, doesn't it? The example of Jesus Christ going first for us. Verse 16, therefore, from now on, we recognize no man according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we have known him thus no longer. Therefore, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come and I have to be very careful so I don't get bound up in this passage. I could spend the rest of my time right here. Here's an important picture I want you to grab from this as we go through this. If you are a new creature in Christ, you are controlled by what? According to 2 Corinthians 5, 14. Love. The love of Christ. So let me ask you a question. Let's test this out really quickly in our mind. If we, if we understand that the summation of the law and the prophets, as, as we're told in Matthew chapter 22, by Jesus himself, is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and might. And the second is like love your neighbor as yourself. If we understand that's the summation of the law, and we understand that we should be looking to Jesus as the example, the author and perfecter of our faith, if we test that out, does Jesus fulfill the law and the prophets? Yes, he does. You want to know why? To suffer? Because you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. We saw a little example of that, didn't we? We talked about Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Why'd they get cast in the fiery furnace? Because they lost track of time? No, because they loved the Lord their God with all their heart, soul, and mind. To the point that they did not even love their own lives. 
Why did, why did Jesus go to the cross? Maybe because he loved his neighbor as himself. And he knew that the only way that that neighbor whom he loved could ever have a chance to be eternally united with God was by him pouring out his love by laying down his own life. Actually, John chapter 15 talks about that, doesn't it? Yeah. Greater love is no one than this, and a man lay down his life for his friends, right? You know what's also found in that passage? <laughs> love one another as I have loved you. See, there's part of that, that, that Jesus took that neighbor that was a stranger, that was formerly an alien, he brings him in, and now what's he do? Loves, loves one another as I have loved you. So if we test this out, we understand that suffering is for the Lord God, because we love him. Not because we have to, but because we love him. That changes the message, doesn't it? I don't know about you guys, somebody tell me I have to do something? I'm like, Why? <laughs> Why do I have to do that? Because the why actually is important. <clears throat> when, let's talk a little bit for a moment about love your neighbors yourself. Until people know that you care, they don't care what you know. Man, if they don't think you care, what difference does it make? Man, you got to demonstrate that love and that care just like Jesus did. How about for your brothers and sisters in Christ? Love one another as I have loved you. Matthew chapter 5. Context is cool stuff, man. It actually helps us to understand maybe what some things are about. Well, we're going to take a look at a, at a verse that I would tell you that almost overwhelmingly is taken out of context. Matthew 5, 48. Therefore, you are to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Can we, for a moment, can we please get the context? Yes. Verse 43. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, in order that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. In order that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. Yeah. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Hey, you know what, guys? We're going to pause right here for a second. This verse causes me to repent. I don't like to be wrong. The physical man doesn't like to be wrong. What did Jesus do? Don't hold this sin against them. They don't know what they're doing. How about towards those he was closest to? Man, you think Jesus ever got frustrated with the apostles? He raises from the dead, man. Man, here's him for 40 days. He's popping in and out, man. It's cool stuff. They're like, okay, Jesus, now? Now we kick the Romans out? I mean, like, it, it, Jesus, emoji, right? Face palm. Okay. <laughs> nope, it's not for you to know times are epic. with the Father's sakes by his own authority. You're going to see power and the Holy Spirit's come upon you. You're going to be my witness in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and even the remotest part of the earth. And then what? Boop, he's out of there. They're like, what now? Guess we'll go to the temple, see what happens next, right? Man, look at the love that Jesus demonstrated for those guys. Continue on, Matthew 5 here. Verse 44, but I say to you, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you, in order that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sets rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Just so you know, if things are easy in your life or hard in your life, it actually doesn't 
have anything to do with anything other than things that are easy in your heart, life and hard in your life at times. My, my wife and I, we, we don't ever go on vacation. We took our family to Florida. I had a dream. I, I wanted to go to Florida and I wanted to see a sunrise on the East Coast and I wanted to see a sunset on the West Coast in Florida in the same day. Now, I think Florida is called the Sunshine State, isn't it? I think it is. I think that's actually what's on their license plate is the Sunshine, sunshine State. We were there for a week. I would tell you that we had a grand total of less than probably 12 hours of sunshine the entire time we were there for a week. I might as well just come to Eugene if I wanted to go see the ocean <laughs> and the rain. You know, could have done that. <clears throat> hey, man, it's the way she goes. Verse 46, for if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax gatherers do the same. And if you greet your brothers only, what do you do more than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same. Therefore, remember what therefores are there for? So we'll look back to see what it's there for. Therefore, you are to be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Does this sound anything like you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind? Second is like you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Kind of sounds like it, doesn't it? Pray for, your, pray for your enemies. Oh, I'm sorry. Love your enemies. We don't have to pray for those who persecute them. Or we get to pray for them, love one. I don't know. Figure it out. What do we got to do, man? Hey, it is about love, isn't it? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And second is life that you shall love your neighbor yourself. And this new commandment that I give you, love one another as I have loved you. By this, all men will know that you're my disciples. By what? How much scripture you got memorized? I got nothing against memorizing the scripture. I think you should do it. But that's not how people are going to know you're just disciples. By your love for one another. Amen. That's actually what separates this thing. Oh, and love, love isn't just when it's easy, right? I had Brian Schweitzer come up here and, and pray. Brian and I have been friends for a long time. I love Brian. I'm going to go on a limb here and say that he loves me too. That's actually not a difficult relationship. We love each other. How hard is that? And we live a ways away from each other. We don't actually step on each other's toes hardly at all. Easy relationship. What, what about when it's not? Still get to love them through those things, don't you? For the love of Christ controls us. Oh, and we missed part of that, didn't we? For we recognize no man how? According to the flesh any longer. We're starting to get our why here on some suffering. 1 Peter chapter 2. Verse 21. For you have been called for this purpose since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps, who committed no sin nor was any deceit found in his mouth, and while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness, for by his wounds you were healed. For you were continually straying like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. You are called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example to follow in his steps who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. Man, that's an interesting passage right there. Who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. You know, I can, 
I can tell the truth and be deceitful. I can. Let me illustrate that for you. It's Thursday night. I'm supposed to be at work next morning at, at 8 o'clock. And I notice I got a flat tire on my pickup truck. Friday morning I get up. By the time I get around to changing the tire on my pickup truck. And I roll in at 9 o'clock and I go to my boss and I say, Hey, you know what, man? I'm sorry I'm late. I had a flat tire on my pickup truck. Did I tell the truth? Was I deceitful? Yes, I was. Take a look at what Jesus says here, right? <clears throat> Committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. While being reviled, he did not revile in return. Oh, man. I'm expressive personality by nature. That may come as a shock to you. You know what that means as an expressive personality? That means that I continue to try to make my point until you're all convinced. That's how expressive personality works. <clears throat> what did Jesus do? While being reviled, he made his case clearly on the foundation of the prophets, right? Nope. He did not revile in return. While suffering, what did he do? Uttered no threats. But kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. Because see, Jesus had confidence that he loved the Lord God with all his heart, soul, and mind. And he believed in faith that God was able to perform even what he had promised. And he knew that, that if he followed the prophecy, if he did what he was supposed to, according to Isaiah 53, that, that he was going to get cut off from the land of the living, but he was going to receive what? An inheritance. He's going to divide the booty with the strong. Because he kept entrusting himself to him and judges righteously. See, Jesus wasn't short-sighted. He understood that easy doesn't make good. Because what would an easy thing to, been, to do? He already walked through them guys' midst before. There's another time, man, they go to arrest Jesus. They come back empty-handed. They're like, what happened? They're like, man, you don't understand. No one talks the way this guy talks. You don't think Jesus could have talked himself out of the cross? You think that, that that walking through their mist was a one-trick pony? He could only done that one time? What power did Pilate have? Jesus says in his own words, you have no authority unless it was granted to you. Right. You have no authority unless it was one granted to you. Man, this is an incredible message for us. That is the example that we have to follow. 1 Peter chapter 4. Jesus entrusts himself to him who judges righteously. Our passage that we looked at was in 1 Peter 4, verses 12 and 13, talking about suffering. And not be surprised, so some strange thing were happening to you, right? And there's going to be a result coming from that. But first, verse 19, Therefore let those also who suffer according to the will of God entrust their souls to a faithful creator in doing what is right. We get to do the exact same thing as Jesus did. Entrust ourselves to him who judges righteously. So let me ask you a question. Let's say that from the physical sense, the worst thing possible could happen to you, that they put you to death. If your soul is entrusted to God, you tell me how that is a loss. In fact, the Apostle Paul deals with this in the book of Philippians. He says what? He says, if I die, I get to go be with the Lord. To live I get to work on more fruitful labels for you. Either way, what did Apostle Paul say? I win. 
That's a win through Jesus because I entrusted myself to him who judges righteously. Man, do you think God has an interest in you? Somehow he raised you from the dead through the power of Jesus Christ, made all those things happen, but then he doesn't care about you anymore after that? Man, we gotta, we gotta change our thinking on some of this stuff, man. Like God has an intention. When he brought the Israelites out of Egypt, his intention was to get them all the way to the promised land, wasn't it? And they had to go through the wilderness to get there. They had to put the old man to death to get there. But what was the kind intention of God to deliver him from Egypt, to deliver him from sin, to deliver him from the power of death all the way to the promised land, a land that they would inhabit inhabit forever? Not a physical land, but a spiritual land. Man, that was the kind intention of the Lord. Brothers and sisters, we have a great example in Jesus when we talk about perseverance and suffering that we entrust ourselves to him who judges righteously. In order for us to have that trust, we gotta do what first? We gotta love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, strength, and mind. When my kids were little, we're at this swimming pool, man, on the shallow end, because I don't swim. I'm like, hey, man, jump on in here, kids. You know what kids would do? they jump into that pool, Why? Because they trusted dad. They didn't know I didn't know how to swim until later on in life. They might not have been so trusting if they'd known that. But I do know how to swim. It's just not a good thing. But (laughs) let's talk about the results of suffering. I think we've, we've handled that, right? The why is what? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. Second is like it. Love your neighbors yourself. And the new commandment that Jesus gave, gave to us is love one another as I have lived, loved you. That is the reason why to endure suffering. Important to have the why that goes along with it. 1 Peter 4, verse 13, it says, But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing, so that also at the revelation of his... I'm sorry. So that also at the revelation of his glory, you may result with exaltation. I wanted to do that with, with emphasis. Because now we're talking about the result of suffering. I watched a documentary on a guy uh, that he did what he was called the ultimate triathlon. And he, he went from Morocco to Monaco. So he started out by swimming the Straits of Gibraltar and then made his way um, biking for seven days and then ran double marathons a day until he had some serious leg problems and finished that trip up on a bicycle. <clears throat> I think he did it in 12 days. But as they were, they were chronicling this, and they were talking to him during his training, he made this statement. It was so awesome. I literally put my feet to the side of the treadmill and got out and made some notes on it. He made this statement. He said this. When he's talking about his training, if it doesn't challenge you, it doesn't change you. <clears throat> so the result of suffering, the purpose of going through suffering, can't be just for the sake of going through suffering. There has to be something that is a result of that. A change that occurs. So that also at the revelation of his glory, you may rejoice with exultation. See, sometimes we think about this and we put this as future tense. That something that only is going to happen when Jesus returns. Can the glory of the Lord be revealed into your life right now? Amen. What do you think some of the God's intended outcome for suffering is? That the glory of Jesus be revealed in your life? That's right. That's right. Man, there's an important aspect of this here. You know, in James chapter 1, 
he, he goes through and he talks about to consider it all joy, my brethren, as you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. Let endurance have its perfect result, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. I got to tell you, if you don't have the right picture on suffering, it will never be joyful unless you got a screw loose. Man, suffering by itself is not fun. Even, even God talks about that in Hebrews chapter 12, talks about this one. Man, for the moment it is what? Sorrowful. But afterwards, for those who have been trained by it, it yields a peaceful fruit of righteousness. There was an intended result that came through that suffering. Man, when you're, you're a parent down there and you got to spank your kid, what's the easy thing to do? Nah. Just this once, I'll let it slide. Just this once. Well, that's the easy thing to do. What's, what's the best thing to do for the child? Con consistency. Teach them to suffer through those things a little bit. Actually, that same passage in Hebrews, doesn't God talk about that very thing? says, you have physical fathers, the earthly fathers that discipline you. Right? Oh, and, I'm, and I'm perfect, Dad. Not me. God. My kids are not here to dispute. You can sign that if you'd like. But, uh, you know, man, that, that's the reality of it, isn't it? Man, there's an intended purpose there. That suffering was, this, was intended to achieve a result. That discipline was intended to achieve a result that actually resulted in the best for both parties. When my children were disciplined, raised up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord, it's not like I lost too. Man, I get a win too. My son's not here. I don't mean to embarrass him completely, but I will. I'll tell you something, man. I love that kid. 20 years old. Almost 20 years old. And, uh, we, we were taking a drive to the closest mall bus. We live in Williston, North Dakota. The closest mall you can do any shopping is in Minot. It's 110 miles away. And uh, we're, we're driving over there and telling about this book I've been reading. We're reading through that. and Talk about the, the power of a hug. Something happens when you hug someone for 20 seconds. You have to not do it awkwardly. But you hug someone for 20 <laughs> seconds, your body releases oxytocin, man. You know what that tells the person you're hugging and back and forth? Hey, man, it's good. We're good. My almost 20-year-old son, you know what he does every night before he goes to bed? He hugs his mom and me. You know, sometimes that hug lingers a little bit, man. You know, man, we, we hug each other. Man, it might sound a little bit weird. Man, I'm thankful for that result. You know what that result of that hug is? That, that was on the heels of the years of discipline. That my son, as he endured some things, he knew that no matter what, mom and dad loved him regardless of his performance in the moment. That we loved him. And it was intended to produce a result. Now, why would we think it would be any different with God? That he took a look at you and he made you, you were fearfully and wonderfully made. I don't think that's just in the physical sense. I think that's talking about the new creation sense. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. Knit together in your mother's womb. Man, you can draw all kinds of stuff from that, man. Read your Old Testament. It's awesome stuff. Man, knit together in your mother's womb. And God allows us to go through some things. So what? So we can grow up. That we can mature. So that we can overcome. See, suffering has a purpose, not for suffering's sake, but so that we can have the glory of God revealed in us as we go through this. See, the why is important, isn't it? 
The love has to be there. And there is an intended result that the glory of God is produced in us. <clears throat> if you want a, a quick summation, I won't do this for the sake of time. A quick summation of the book of 1 Peter. Just read the first nine verses of the book of 1 Peter. It will actually walk you through what that conversation is, what that book is about. See, we have this problem sometimes when we read the scripture, we see chapters and verses. That's not what this is. This was written as a letter. And you know what you do sometimes in a letter, especially when you're an expressive personality like me? You repeat yourself so you can get your point across. And if you've ever read anything about Peter, I think that guy was an expressive personality. What do you think? Man, I love that guy. The dude got out of the boat. All right, enough about that, man. He got out of the boat, walked on the water because Jesus told him he could, man. What were them other apostles doing? Mm -hmm. They stayed in the boat, didn't they? Man, I love that guy. He got out of the boat. All right. I don't have time for this. So I'm not going to read all this. I'm just going to tell you some of the things I wrote down. Book of 1 Peter. You walk your way through this. And I want you to test this out on your own to see if the things that we talked about today can be found within the context of the letter, the book of 1 Peter. That you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Second is like it. Love your neighbor yourself and love one another as I have loved you. It may not say that exactly, but you check it out in the book of 1 Peter. We're going to walk our way through this really quickly. 1 Peter 13, or 1 Peter 1, 13, 20. You don't have time to turn there. Don't even bother. We're going to go this fast, okay? 1 Peter 1, 13 through 21. You've got to gird your mind for action. Guess what? Love requires what? Action. Man, there's an old song. Love is a verb. Man, you've got to get this thing in action, right? It's not passive. It's active. <clears throat> Love, Lord, your God. Guess what comes with that, man? You've got to honor him. Be holy. Your heavenly father is holy. I, I do need to hit one. 1 Peter 2, verse 13. Let's be really quick. 1 Peter 2, 13. Submit yourself for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to a king as one authority or to governors. It goes on about it. For whose sake? For whose sake? For the Lord's sake. For the Lord's sake. Man, I, I'm going to say this right now. There is not a president of the United States of America that has ever died for anyone's eternity. Not one. And no ruler of any other physical nation has ever died for anyone else's eternity. Not one. For the Lord's sake. <clears throat> really interesting. You go through the rest of this passage here in 1 Peter chapter 2. And into chapter 3, there's some things that he addresses. He talks about what? How we're supposed to deal with government, right? For the Lord's sake, right? Then he goes on to talk about servants and masters and husbands and wives. Because it actually goes through into 1 Peter chapter 3. And then he sums it up in 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 8. Man, to sum it up, he says, Let all be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, humble in spirit, not return to evil for evil or insult for insult, but give a blessing instead. For you were called for the very purpose that you might inherit a blessing. Does that sound like love your neighbor as yourself? When we deal with bosses and servants and masters and governments and husbands and wives. <clears throat> Sum it up. Man, does this, this great thing, lets us know that we're going to suffer for it. Verse 15, but sanctify Christ as Lord in your heart. Set him apart. Always being ready to make defense to everyone asks, to give an account for the hope that lies within you with gentleness and reverence. If they don't see the character of Christ in your life, they're not going to ask. 
Man, we get to display the love of God to those around us and the love for others. Goes on to talk about how there was an old man that was put to death in the waters of immersion. There's a new man that was raised up in the resurrection. This is all in First Peter here. We're walking our way through book First Peter. Chapter 4, he says, Therefore, since Christ died, guess what? Don't live like a Gentile. That doesn't match up with your character. It's not who you are. Don't do that stuff. Behave like God. Verse 7, the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaint. That's a big one, isn't it? You ever had somebody who was hospitable with complaint? It's not very hospitable, is it? No, you went through the motions, right? Just not the emotions. Does this sound like love one another as I've loved you? Bound up in there. Final point. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your anxiety on because he cares for you. Be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls about like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. But resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. And after you've suffered for a little while, the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. And I don't think verse 10 only happens when you die. I think that is talking about the here and now. If the glory of God is being revealed in your life as you go through sufferings by first loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself and to love one another as I have loved you. That's the message of why we go through suffering. Not just for suffering's sake. We get to demonstrate the love of Christ as we do that. One final example. It's told that there's a, a mountain tra- climbing trek in the, in the Swiss Alps that basically it takes a day to climb the top. And so you, you start out that day and you, and you go through the, the struggles of the, struggles of the, the trail and there's a, there's a halfway house on the way up there. And, and, you, and you hit that halfway house about lunchtime and you go in there and everybody gets a meal and man, you warm yourselves by the fire. And pretty soon the guy's like, okay, it's time to get going again. And half the people stay in the house. And they enjoy the warmth of the fire and the fun games of the afternoon. They say strange things happen about four o'clock in the afternoon. They all just kind of silently wake, make their way over to the window. And they look up the hill and they can see the rest of the party as they're setting up camp at the summit. The next morning, those on the summit come down and break camp. Man, and they hit that halfway house and they're tired from the journey. But man, there's an excitement because they've, they've accomplished something. And they enjoy that meal and, and there's a division in the room for those that have went to the summit and those that stayed behind. And those that stayed behind didn't talk much. And so they, they finish their trek and they get down to the bottom. And those that accomplished some, man, they congregate together and they talk about the, the challenges of the trails and the things they had to overcome and how they helped each other along the way. And those that remain behind the halfway house, they just get in their cars and go. 
See, we just read a really important scripture about the same experiences of suffering being accomplished by our brethren throughout the world. Here's what I'm telling you. When it's time for lunch, stop for lunch. When it's time to get going again, get going again. Amen. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, his might. Love your neighbors yourself and love one another as I have loved you. The words of Jesus are key. Thank you.